0: Section 26 of Roman History The Early Empire by William Wolfe Capes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 17 The Frontiers and the Army. The limits of the Roman world in the first century of the empire were well defined by natural boundaries. It spread from the Atlantic on the west to the Euphrates on the east. The Rhine and the Danube formed its northern frontier, while the sandy deserts of Arabia and Africa parted it from peoples almost unknown. It had been the special work of Augustus to provide an effective barrier against the races of the north, and at the cost of hard fighting and after many dangerous campaigns, Pannonia, Noricum, and Mesia were finally subdued, and the Roman arms were carried to the Danube. Nearer home, the tribes that held the passes of the Western Alps were crushed after obstinate resistance, and many thousands of them sold into hopeless slavery that the great roads leading to Gaul might be secured. In Germany, tribe after tribe had been attacked, and Roman influence had been pushed forward to the Elbe, but the whole country rose in arms to crush Varus and his legions, and the boundary again receded to the Rhine no attempt was made at conquest in the east. Even Armenia was left in seeming independence, and the captured standards of Crassus were recovered from the Parthians, not by force, but by diplomacy. Toward the south, attempts were made to march into Ethiopia and Arabia Felix, but heat and drought alone were enough to baffle the intruders. Such were the frontiers finally accepted by Augustus and recommended by him to his successors. In them, with one exception, no great change was made until the time of Trajan. But Britain, which had been only visited by Julius Caesar, was further attacked, explored, and finally subdued in a series of campaigns dating specially from the times of Claudius, Nero, and Domitian, and thus furnished a sort of training school for the best generals of the early empire it was part of the policy of augustus to leave a fringe of dependent kingdoms in the countries most recently annexed leaving the peoples for a while to the forms of native rule subject only to the payment of tribute or supply of soldiers of these the monarchy of the herods furnished a well-known example and many others are known in syria cilicia cappadocia thrace and mauritania but one after another, as kings died or dynasties decayed, these little kingdoms also disappeared. Governors were sent to administer in Roman fashion, and the work of organizing went uniformly on. Diplomacy and intrigue also were constantly employed beyond the borders. Treaties were formed with neighboring monarchs to give an excuse for frequent meddling, dynastic quarrels were fomented, shelter was offered to princely refugees and future rulers trained in roman arts and letters this policy was specially employed in dealing with the chieftains of the german clans and with the kings of the far east and possible enemies were thus changed into friends or weak dependents the early caesars prided themselves upon the success of their diplomatic arts took credit for it in their speeches to the senate and stamped in this way a pacific character upon the policy of the empire for indeed if we accept the terrible crash of civil war in the year sixty nine the peace of the roman world was scarcely broken for a century a few border forays on the rhine had their source in the wanton folly of weak rulers who thought to win a little glory upon easy terms the dacian war upon the danube was left after a few campaigns for Trajan's energy to close. The national uprisings in Gaul were crushed with little effort, and in their guerrilla warfare with the African Tacforinus, the Roman generals were only pitted against a brigand chief, who had to be tracked and hunted like a wild beast to his lair. Only when opposed to the desperate energy of Jewish fanatics and the untamed tribes of Britain were they called upon to cope with enemies who seriously tasked the resources of generalship and discipline. For the most likely rivals of the emperors were the leaders of their troops. Of these, the most adventurous were recalled often in their hour of triumph, or warned to advance no further, and must have sighed like Corbulo. Happy were the generals of olden time, for they were allowed to go on and conquer. Pacific, as was the imperial policy of Augustus in his later years, he had for the first time to set up a standing army and the forms in which he organised it were long left undisturbed on the rhine eight legions were constantly on guard divided between the higher and the lower provinces and the defence of the northern frontier was further maintained by six more who were stationed in pannonia dalmatia and mesia four held the lines of the euphrates Two were needed for the care of Egypt, the granary of Rome, while an equal number held the rest of Africa. Three more were kept in Spain, some of whose wilder tribes had been but lately brought into subjection. These legions, twenty-five in all, were attended in the field by auxiliary forces of about equal numbers bearing the names and national character of the races that sent their separate contingents to the field the chief stations for the fleets were at misenum and ravenna on either coast of italy besides which the harbour of the colonia foro iuliensis freius was chosen by augustus to receive some of the ships that fought at actium a few thousand men nine cohorts of the praetorian guards and three of the urban watch sufficed for the police of rome and elsewhere through the whole interior of the vast dominion no garrisons were needed and the tramp of armed men was seldom heard upon the great highways that ran through the old countries of the empire the legions themselves were seldom moved from the frontiers to which they were attached but remained in permanent encampments engaged in an unvarying round of military drill near the cantonments settled the traders camp followers and various classes nearly connected with the soldiers and many an important town of later days derived its origin and sometimes even its name from the camp in the close neighborhood of which it grew. The legions were recruited from the border provinces, often from the very countries where their camp was fixed. In time, many ties connected the soldiers with the people amongst whom they lived. Most of them had never even seen Rome or the emperor whom they served how strong an influence was exerted by the empire on the imaginations of the peoples and how substantial were believed to be the benefits of union is found in the fact that so few efforts were seriously made to assert a national independence and call the native soldiery to rally round it for the temper of the legions was in the main loyal and steadfast the statues and effigies of the ruling monarch were commonly in the camp the objects of unquestioning reverence and there, at least, Caesar-worship was something of a reality and not a name. The military traditions of each legion acquired of themselves an attractive force over the fancy of the soldiers, and provident clubs and guilds for social union grew up gradually among them, as we learn from inscriptions found in northern Africa after the lapse of ages. They were also encouraged to deposit their savings in a sort of bank set up in their quarters, the funds of which were large enough to provide the needful means for the rising of antonius against omission the camps were also the best training grounds for the old-fashioned virtues of faithfulness straightforwardness and hardihood and in them were to be found the best types of the old roman character which as moralists complained were to be found elsewhere no more if the funds of a country town had fallen into disorder Or uprightness was needed for a special post, the curator chosen by the government was often an old soldier who had long been tried and trusted. And early Christian history throws, incidentally, a favourable light upon the moral qualities of the Roman officer. Those qualities were mainly formed by thoroughness of work and discipline. Besides the mere routine of drill and all the exercises of a soldier's trade, the earthworks and entrenchments of the camp, there was no lack of constant labour. Their armies raised the great highways through miles of swamp and forest, spanned the streams with bridges, built dikes and aqueducts and baths, and taught the border races as much of the arts of peace as of the methods and appliances of war. To save them from the monotony of garrison life and the temptations of unlettered leisure, they had for the twenty years which was their minimum of service, a healthy variety of useful work to call out their energy and skill the second requisite of discipline varied more with the temper of the general in command it was a singular feature of the first caesar's habits of command that he was careless of common rules and allowed much license to his troops saying that his men perfumed as they were could fight but his successors could not rely on the prestige of genius to inspire morale nor quell their mutinous soldiers with a word and they drew the bands of discipline more tightly the greatest generals were commonly the strictest and themselves set like corbulo and agricola a marked example to their men the worst like vitellius in his few weeks of command upon the rhine were lax and careless and rapidly demoralized their armies next to the generals the most important influence on the temper of the soldiers was that of the centurions For they might be harsh and overbearing and sorely try the patience of the men below them they might be venal and exacting and allow some to buy discharge from the common duties of the camp while unfairly burdening others they might be quite incapable and owe their places to favour rather than to actual merit twice in the course of the period before us we have the spectacle of a complete breakdown of military discipline and it is instructive to compare the facts of each. The first followed close on the succession of Tiberius. Both on the Rhine and in Pannonia, the soldiers were in open mutiny, incited seemingly by the men who had most lately joined the standards, recruited from the city populace after the fatal loss of Verus. The complaints put into their mouths are those of men who chafed at the stern drill of camp, after the pleasures of the capital, who found the strictness of the centurions hard to bear and looked forward with despair to twenty years of service remembering the higher pay of the favoured praetorians and their shorter term of years the second was in the troublous year of sixty-nine when so many rivals struggled for the post of honour the armies had to assert their liberty of choice by naming each their emperor and the sources of discipline were thereby disturbed while the drill and work of stationary quarters were suddenly exchanged for the license and the plunder of campaigns. They constantly broke out in mutiny against their leaders and complained that the centurions were harsh or cruel, and twice when they had made an emperor they would not be denied the privilege of choosing all their officers at their caprice. But these were the rare exceptions of exciting times, and the legions commonly were loyal and the emperors careful of their welfare they rarely received indeed the donative which the guards of the capital could almost extort at the accession of a ruler but besides the pay which was in itself a great burden on the imperial revenue a special fund was formed in a sort of military chest to furnish pensions for the veterans who were discharged and new sources of income were devised to meet the need in the form of a succession duty of five per cent and of certain tolls levied in the markets. After the civil wars, it had been common to plant military colonies and to find land for all the veterans. But it was found in time that they were sorry settlers and little suited to field work, and the land passed speedily out of their hands. The system of pensions was therefore adopted in its stead one further privilege we hear of though only from the evidence of inscriptions graven on metal tablets found in various lands they are the certified copies of the official document in which an honourable discharge was granted to deserving soldiers after the full term of service it carried with it the full franchise to the provincials who served as auxiliaries beside the legions and it gave a roman status to the worthy as the emperor's favor or a master's whim did to large numbers of a different class. End of section 26.